I want to welcome you to our worship service, and I want to tell you that I'm so glad and thankful that you've come to join us, and I want to welcome all of those who are worshiping with us online. I know we've got people literally all over the United States and all over the world, so welcome. If you're a guest here this morning, if this is your first or second time, and you're one of those, maybe you're looking for a home church and you just haven't made that decision yet. Maybe you've been here five or six times and you're still trying to figure out. I just want to say a special welcome to you. And immediately following the service, if you go out to our guest services, we've got a gift for you. And I'm going to tell you what it is. You're going to get a big old fat cinnamon roll. Not here, but you're going to get a certificate to where you can go and get them. And I want to tell you something. They are the best cinnamon rolls in the city of Wichita, Right? There's three of them in my refrigerator right now. Don't tell anybody. All right. If you are online, if you just text welcome, we want to make sure we answer your questions because I want to challenge you to make a decision today and decide I want to be a part of what God is doing at Central Community Church. All right. Well, we're in a series called Esther. This is our third week of the four weeks. And so we are in a moment in time where we are believing that God has chosen us that God has picked us for such a time as this. Whatever it is that we may be going through in life, whatever it is, your valley, your mountain peak, wherever you are, you need to know that it's not by accident that you're here. You're here because God brought you here. So I don't know about you, but I'd want to know, so what in the world does God have for me in this place? So I want to begin with the riddle this morning, okay? We'll, We'll test your intelligence right away. You ready? Here it is. What is something that you always take with you? Uh, I blew it already. I got to start over again. Can you believe that? All right. So here it goes. What is something that you always have with you and that you always take with you? That's the riddle. What is something that you always have with you and that you always take with you? I'm ready for answers. Anybody? Peanuts? Jesus, very good. Jesus is the answer to everything, right? I know. Okay, the answer is fingerprints, though. Fingerprints are like snowflakes. They are all unique. Every one of us here has a fingerprint that is different from the person sitting next to us. Fingerprints are caused or they're made by the impression made by your finger from the friction ridges that are found in your fingers. And those are used, or what happens is oil and dust and and sweat gather there. And what happens, everywhere you go, you leave a fingerprint. Everywhere you go, leave, leave a fingerprint, whether you know it or not. You see, fingerprints are your own identification that you've been a place, and we haven't even seen that you've been there. Here's what I want you to know about fingerprints that are important. Fingerprints, as I've said, are our own ID, but we use them nowadays on things like phones or computers, right? That's how we get, that's a password almost. But those fingerprints are already on our fingers at 26 weeks from conception. Now, the very first group that began to use these fingerprints are the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire would, when they would have their scribes, their royal scribes, who would write out different different articles or things like that, or they would copy something, they would put wax on the paper, and then they would put their thumb imprint on it. That's how they knew that it was ascribed to a specific person, because it would match their thumbprint or their fingerprint. In our world today, 
what do we know fingerprints to be used for? By law enforcement, right? I mean, law enforcement will use a fingerprint to identify somebody's presence either on a specific, at a crime scene or on a specific piece of evidence. But here's what I want you to remember about this. Fingerprints allow us to observe the presence of an individual at a specific place without ever seeing them. We don't have to see someone with our eyes when it comes to fingerprints to know that they are there. And this is what I want you to hear today from the book of Esther. That's how it is with God in your life. Sometimes when God moves, he moves with thunderous footsteps. Sometimes when he speaks, when he speaks, the earth quakes and you hear him loud and clear. But there are also those times when God is silent. But don't be confused in thinking that he's not at work. Oh, he's at work. You know how we know that? Because his fingerprints are all over our life in the situation. Here's what I want you to know. Wherever you are and whatever you are going through, God's fingerprints are all over you and all over this situation. So take a deep breath and be at ease. Be relaxed because God is rearranging and reordering the scenes of your life to accomplish his purpose. I want you to remember, my dear friends in Christ, you are where you are because God called you for such a time as this. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. And I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 30, and I'm going to read one verse. In fact, I'm going to read half a verse. It's from Psalm chapter 30, verse 5b. Here we go. Ready? Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I'm going to say that one more time. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I may not see you with my eyes, but help me to sense your presence with my heart. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I look around this room right now, I've walked many journeys with many of you in here, and I'm so excited about this message because God has this message for you, and I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to recognize that the God of, of, of all of this earth, the creator of the years, has come, and he has visited you today. Now, you remember when we left our story, the last words that we heard from Queen Esther to her cousin or uncle Mordecai was this, if I must die then I must die. Remember? Did you hear those words this week? The Ukrainian president said the same thing. Did you know that? Remember last week I told you that he was a Jewish descendant. And this week, here's what he said. I'm not going anywhere. And if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Coincidence, right? Oh, I don't think so. I think, once again, we're seeing God's handprints and his footprints all over this world. All right, so here's what we know. 
So Esther has made this claim. If I'm going to die, then I'm going to die. And then she says this, Mordecai, you get all of the Jews, you tell them to fast and pray. Now remember, fasting is what speeds up our prayer requests, okay? So they are fasting and they are praying. What are they fasting and praying for? They're fasting and praying for Esther because Esther is going to make the bold move of walking into the king's presence uninvited. All right, now I want to just pause for a moment, and I want you to pretend that you're a Jewish descendant and you're living in those days, and you've just received the edict that you're going to die within 11 months, and now you get this this memo saying from Mordecai saying, you need to be fasting and praying because Esther is about to go into the presence of King Xerxes. What would your prayer be like? I don't know about you, but I will tell you something, that my prayer would be one of great urgency. Wouldn't yours? I mean, these are people who know the Scriptures. And what are they doing? I can only imagine this, that they're on their knees. Maybe they're, they put burlap, and, burlap on to show that they're, they're serious about what they're praying. They are fasting, and they're crying out to God, Oh God, great Jehovah, you are the creator of all the earth, and we are your people. The Jews were notorious for repeating God's word back to him. And they knew that they were his chosen people. Can't you imagine them going on, Lord, if this Haman guy, if his his plan goes in, we will be wiped out, and then who will be your people then? Well, the Bible tells us then that Esther puts on her royal robes, and she goes and she stands, the Bible says, in the inner court Right now, there's something that I need you to understand about this because this is what is really kind of sets us off about who Esther is. Remember what the Bible said about Esther? It said that she was very lovely, that she was very pleasing to look at. She was beautiful, okay? But I want to tell you something. Beauty is only skin deep. But I think there's something else that Xerxes saw in her. You know what I think one of the things he saw in her? I, saw, I think he saw the characteristic of this woman's got courage, Look at the way she carries herself. Look at the way she walks around. That was attractive to Xerxes. She knew that she was a creation from God, and that's how she lived her life. And so what does she do? She goes out, and she stands in her royal robes in the inner court. All right, now, listen to this, okay? In the Persian government, where the king's throne was, there were ten columns around him. Five on one side and five on the others. Now remember that there were guards always around the kings in those days because what were they afraid of? Assassinations. That's why they had this rule. Nobody comes into the king's presence unless he offers you the scepter or he invites you. So anybody who wasn't doing this was taking a chance. Here's what most people would do. If they needed to get in presence with the king, what they was they would walk in the outside hall of the columns so that maybe... King Xerxes would have get a glimpse of them. And as they recognized the look on his face, they would either go stand in the inner court or they would take the nearest hallway away from him. But not Esther. Esther puts on all her royal garments and she goes directly to the inner court right in front of King Xerxes so he can't miss her and she's standing there. Now, I don't know if her knees were knocking But this is the moment that everybody's been praying for. She's going to find out in just a few seconds if she's going to live or if she's going to die. 
Let's pick it up in the scriptures here. When he, King Xerxes, saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Right? I mean, I know it's easy for us, but I mean, here she is. She's standing there. She's putting her her life on the line. And right away, what does the king do? He offers his gold scepter to her. She comes and she puts her hand on the scepter. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the only thing that happened. There was something else happened. And the Bible tells us this. The king said to her, what is your request, my queen? I will give it to you even up to half the kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You know what Esther realizes at this point in time? God's in this. And I have a feeling she's probably a little excited. She realizes now that God has honored her faith and she knows that God is in it. How? Well, let's look at this first in Ephesians 3.20. We all need to know this verse. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, You see, Esther knows that God is in this because he grants her favor by getting more than just presence. She gets the request. Do you understand that? She knows right away because she's been praying, she's been fasting. She realizes, I'm in this moment, and not only did he receive me, but he asked me, what is your request? I will give it to you even to half my kingdom. Now, I want you to understand something. Esther demonstrates faith in God. Here's how. Look at this. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. This is what's happening. When Esther is praying and when she's fasting, She demonstrates her belief and faith by God by making a plan. You see, she believed she was going to receive what God was going to give her, what she was asking for. Look at this, what the Bible tells us. In fact, Pastor Phil just quoted this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So here's what I want to pause for a moment. I want to ask, what are you all praying for? Are you asking bold prayers or are you praying these wimpy little prayers? What is it that God wants you to face and what is he asking you to do to step out in faith and demonstrate your faith so that he can give it to you? You want to know two things that God is very attracted to? Humility and faith. My two granddaughters do a great job in exhibiting this. Here's what I mean. So yesterday I was sitting in my chair and Lori had put some candy out for the kids. They were suckers, okay? Being the teacher that I am, I took the suckers and put them up high, okay? Because I just didn't want the kids going and having suckers. So here we are sitting there and the two girls come up to me and they say, Bob, Bob, can we have a sucker? Now I want you to know who can resist that, right? But here's what I also want you to know. When they came up asking me, they came up asking, believing that I was going to give it to them, okay? 
When we pray to God, there's one of three answers that we get. One of them is no, the other is yes, and the third one is not now. I gave them the third answer, not now, okay? But I told them, right after lunch, you can have one. You think I gave it to them after lunch? You better believe I do. You know why? Because I like to bless my grandchildren. Now let's look at the real world right now, okay? With whatever you're walking through in your life. Maybe you're on the mountaintop, maybe you're in the valley, but I wanna ask you this question. When you're praying to God, are you believing that God's gonna answer your prayer? Or are you afraid to ask God for what he's desiring to give to you? My dear friends in Christ, here's what you need to understand. There are answers in heaven that are not gonna come to you unless you ask. So why wouldn't you ask? Be bold. God's not sitting there wanting to smite you. I want to tell you something. Listen to this. So when my granddaughters came up to me and they were asking me for succor, do you think I thought and thought about all the times that they misbehaved and were disobedient and didn't do what I asked them to do? Are you kidding me? They're my granddaughters. I wanted to bless them, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. So be bold and ask for the things that God has placed on your heart to ask. Look at this. It's not faith until you face your fear. What are you afraid of? I can remember growing up, I'd, have to, I'd want to get something from my dad, and I'd be sometimes scared to death to go and ask him for it. You know what? That's not the way God is. God wants us to face our fears just like Esther did, and that's what she did. She faced her fear, she demonstrated faith, and God says, oh, now I'm going to bless your socks off. But here's the second thing I want you to know. Fear builds mountains, but remember, faith tears them down. God uses the trials, the tribulations that we go through to do what? Destroy you? No, but to make you stronger in this life and to build your faith. Why? So he can give you what he has planned for you. But you have not because you ask not. All right. So, Here we go on now with the rest of the story now. And now there is a dinner that Haman, King Xerxes, and Esther have to go to, right? And so they have this incredible meal. The food is good. They have the best food. They have the best wine. Haman doesn't have a clue as to what's going on. But they have this incredible meal. And then what happens, what we all know is going to happen. King Xerxes says, okay, what is it that you want? Well, listen to what Esther does here. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I prepare for them, then I will answer the king's question. Okay, I won't go back one second. Okay, look at this. My petition and my request is this, And then it's almost as if there's a pause. Now here's my question that I want to ask you this this morning is this. This was the perfect timing, right? This is exactly what Esther and everybody had been praying for. The king now wants to reward her. He said, I'm going to give you up to half my kingdom. Why doesn't Esther tell him? Instead, she plans another banquet. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Don't be confused with God's commas and his periods. You see, God's getting ready to do something, but he pauses first. Here's what I want you to know. 
Esther knows that what she's about to do is the right thing, but she also discerns the timing is wrong. I want you to listen very carefully to this, okay? God's timing is perfect, right? Even Jesus lived under this time frame. You remember Jesus' first miracle? Remember what it was? He went to the wedding of Cana, right? They ran out of wine, which was so embarrassing for the family. And remember what his mom did? His mom came up to him and said, Jesus, they're out of wine, and she was expecting him to do something. Remember what he said? Let's look and see. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. What does he say then? My time has not yet come. How many times in the New Testament did Jesus say, the hour has not come? Why did he say that? Because God's timing is perfect. All right, now listen to this. If it's not the perfect timing, God's not ready. Some of you may be asking this question. Okay, Pastor Bob, then how do I know if it's God's perfect timing? Well, the Bible gives us the answer of what Esther did. What did she do? She prayed, she fasted, she was in the word. You see, when you nourish your heart with God's word, you recognize his whispers. And so what happens is after her praying and her fasting, when she gets in and she realizes God's in this, all of a sudden, as she's getting ready to tell him, the Holy Spirit goes, and you know what? She doesn't say anything, and she has another banquet. Here's what I want you to understand. Wherever you may be in your life right now, you need to immerse yourself in God's word so that you can discern the Spirit speaking to the very depths of your soul because timing according to God is everything. All right. Here's something that you need to know. In the book of Esther, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 takes nine years to happen. Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 happen in 24 hours. So here's what I want you to learn from this. In your life, everything that you're doing and everything you're living right now is preparation because when God moves, it's going to happen quickly. And I'll tell you, we've started seeing a movement of God in our church. You know what I tell the staff? Just hold on and ride it out. And that's what God's doing. Okay, now, watch what happens. So Esther tells the king and Haman, come back that night, or come back the next night. So that night, something happens. The king can't sleep. He's got insomnia. So you know what he does? He calls the royal scribe to come in. He says, read me what's going on in the royal books. And so that scribe just happened to open the books to the page where they're talking about Mordecai. What a coincidence, right? Man, talk about someone who's lucky, right? Wrong. And he begins to read about how Mordecai uncovered an assassination plot on Xerxes' life. Now, here's my favorite part. The king asked him, what was done for Mordecai? And you know what the reply was? Nothing. Now the king's wide awake. You don't do that. You know why? This is how the kings would build loyalty. They needed to make sure everybody knew. He rewards people who are loyal to him. And so what he asks is this question. He says, who's in the inner court right now? 
All right, leave that story right there. Now come over to this side of the program, and we'll see another story with a man by the name of Haman. Haman leaves the dinner. He's excited. In fact, he's kind of strutting because he thinks he's all that. He just had dinner with the queen and the king, and he is so popular that they invited him back the next night. On his way home, he runs into Mordecai. <laughs> and all of, all of this, this attitude he has goes out the window, and he's angry at Mordecai because, once again, Mordecai doesn't bow before him, and he is a mess. So he goes home, and he carries on this rant with his wife. Now, listen to what happens here. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had a pole set up. So here's what happens. He goes home, he has a conversation with his wife and his buddies, and they say, dude, build a pole. Now, in those days when they hung people, they impaled them on it, 75 feet tall. So Mordecai thinks that's a great, or Haman says, that's a great idea. That's what we're going to do. And then he does something. He heads back to the palace. You know why? Because he wants to get permission from King Xerxes to have Mordecai impaled on that pole. Now, watch what happens. The king wants to honor Mordecai, and Haman's coming back because he wants to kill Mordecai. Oh, this ought to be good, right? Check this out. His attendants asked, answered, Haman is standing in the court. Remember the king asked, who's in the inner court? Haman was standing there. Huh, a luck of the draw. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? What a guy, right? This is the kind of people you want to hang around, right? So Haman thinks, wow. He must really think I'm all right. So here's what Haman says. Get your personal horse. You know that white stallion? Put your emblem on it. Give this man your royal robes. Make sure that whenever he goes, oh, I got a better idea. Have somebody lead the horse around, yelling at the top of their lungs, this is what happens to the man who honors the king. Watch what happens. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Can you imagine the look on his face? This is the man that he hates more than anything. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits on the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So you know what he has to do now. He gets the horse, puts all of the saddle, all the royal emblem, all that thing. He gets Mordecai on it. Mordecai's loving this. And here Haman has to go up and down every street yelling, this is what happens to the man who honors the king. Can't you just hear Mordecai a little louder, please? This is what happens to the man who, and all day long he does this. Now he's humiliated. He is more angry than he has ever been before, and he goes home and he complains to his wife. Now I want you to listen very carefully. While he's at home, complaining to his wife. The Bible says, while he was talking, this is what they hear. There's a knock on the door. Who could that be? 
Well, let's see. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So here's what happens. Haman is furious, but he doesn't even have time. He has to quick change his clothes, and the eunuchs come, and they usher him to the banquet. So here they are. Here's Haman. He's in a really bad mood, but not trying to show it. Haman, remember, does not know that Esther's a Jew. He knows that that Mordecai is, but he does not know that Esther is a Jew yet. So they have their food, they have their wine, and now comes the moment. And the king says, okay, Esther, we've been here now the second time. What is it that you want? And even Haman's kind of curious, thinking, I wonder what it is that she wants. So everybody's listening. Watch what happens. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. Now think about this. The king is confused because somebody tricked him. What does she mean, grant me my life? This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. Oh, she's got the king's attention. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated, If we had merely been sold as a male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Who is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary and an enemy. Can you just see, Xerxes is just fit to be tied. This vile Haman. Now the king is furious. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Can you imagine Haman's response? All right, now, stay with me for a second. The Bible tells us that the king leaves. He's so angry, he doesn't even want to be in Haman's or Esther's presence. Haman knows his life is about coming to the end, so what does he do? What would you would do? I'd start begging for my life, right? Oops. Watch what happens. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he, ever, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. All right, here's what I want you to understand about this. Haman's in deep doo-doo, Okay. But why is it that they covered Haman's face? You want to know why? So he could not give a single excuse. He couldn't even lie. And he was taken away and he was impaled on the very pole that he had created for Mordecai. Okay, now I just want to bring this to close, okay? I'm going to go all the way back to the timing of everything. Can you imagine what would have happened, my dear friends, if Esther would have pulled the trigger after the very first meal and told King Xerxes what she needed. You see, God wasn't ready, was it? You see, the king still needed to have a sleepless night, right? And because he had a sleepless night, Haman, he he knew that he would call for somebody who was in the inner, inner court, right? Haman would have never run into Mordecai again, and his anger continued to brew. Haman's anger would have never been able to be built upon by his family and friends as they built this gallow. On top of that, Mordecai's relationship with Esther and the king has now changed. On top of that, 
Haman would have never had the opportunity to pray Mordecai. Can you see how all of these things come together? And God's timing wasn't perfect. And when it was, everything fell into place. Now, two things I want you to learn from this. Here's the first one. What was Haman's now belongs to Esther. So everything that was Esther, or everything was Haman's, the king gave to Esther. And you know what Esther did with it? She gave it to Mordecai. And the second thing is this. The king took the signet ring from Haman. Guess who's now second in command? Mordecai. Here's what I want to close with. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what's going on in your life, and I don't care how bad it is. Our God is the God of turnarounds. Listen to me. I don't care how bad it seems, our God has the final say. Nothing can thwart his plans. There isn't anybody that can rise up against him. Our God has the final say. So here's what I just want you to remember. That means you and I, we don't have to live the threatened life because our God is on his throne and God is the one who has the final say.